Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And we welcome to the studio today Michael Kane, who I've known for many, many years. Michael, for over 30 years, had a business. He was an independent economic development consultant. His office was here in Northampton. He worked all over the country. And his work has actually been referenced many times on this show, but not by name, in the last week or 10 days. Because when we talk about John Olver and remember him and the amazing work that he did for our communities, the Northern Tier Project has been mentioned many, many times. But I don't know a lot about it. And Michael Kane does. And everyone who we have talked to, including Stan Rosenberg, Natalie Blay, and many of the staffers and uh, politicians who got their starts with John Olver said, you got to talk to Michael Kane." So we are. We are going to do that this morning, right now. So, Michael, I'd like to, you to tell us how you first met John Olver and what the Northern Tier Project is. We've heard a lot about it, but I don't think... Sure. I know I don't really understand what it was, and I'd love to. So talk to us. Okay. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I met John in 1984, and uh, I applied for a uh, open position in his district office here in Northampton. And when I interviewed him, he said, I don't want you to work on that, but I have another idea. He said, all those communities along Route 2, Gardner, Athol, Orange, Greenfield, North Adams, were just decimated by the decline of manufacturing in the late 70s and early 80s. He says, we got to do something. Um, and I said, I, I agree. We've got to do something. Is there a plan? And he said, uh, no, I want you to figure it out. <laughs> Stan, hi, you went in for a, a, a small, a small little hors d'oeuvre and you said, hi, would you please fix up some yeah. complete When you're meal? through with this, I have a lot of projects for you. Okay. So, um, so we hired a consultant firm, Mount Auburn Associates at the time. I went on to work with them a little bit later and we did a really wonderful uh, Cracker Jack economic development plan, looked at all of the major sectors, economic sectors in, uh, in the region, and, uh, and then built a plan around their strengths and weaknesses. So I, I'd like to interrupt and yep. just be skeptical here, just for, for the first time ever. I, but I but you, there's a decimation. There was obviously decimation of manufacturing in, in Massachusetts, I think probably epitomized by what happened in Pittsfield uh -huh. with uh, General Electric sure. uh, and uh, Sprague Electric and, and those companies which went from uh, employing thousands and thousands of uh, people to employing a couple hundred. Uh, yeah. And it seems to me really unlikely that there's some way to remedy that, but apparently there was a plan. So tell us, tell us what it was. Well, to your point, I mean, in Pittsfield, there were 13,000 people employed at GE at its peak. Wow. Um, I'm going to get back to Pittsfield a little bit later okay. on. Uh, but in Athol, um, Sterrett Tool, 1,500 people. And when you think about Greenfield Tap and Die, Lunt Silversmith, Irving Paper, thousands of jobs. So it's impossible to think that you can counteract all of that uh, decline. But... What we did is we, we focused uh, on the key sectors, and they were metalworking, plastics, wood products, outdoor recreation, creative economy, tourism, furniture, because those were the key 
economic sectors that we're bringing in revenue from outside. Um, and those are the ones that you want to focus on because those are the ones that are going to have the best paying jobs. And um, so we built relationships between the Community Development Corporation, the Chamber of Commerce, Workforce Development Boards, and the heads of these companies so that we could figure out both economic, workforce, and tax policies that would keep them there and keep them strong. Um, we didn't save everybody, but some of those uh, manufacturing firms are still operating. Um, and there's actually a little bit of a growth in manufacturing um, in the region. So it was one of the first times in the country that an economic development plan focused on those sectors. Um, and, and that really informed John Olver's work when he went to Congress. It kind of gave him a framework to look at economic development work that he did and funds that he was bringing back to the district. He was really sold on this notion of sectors and then building relationships. Uh, the CDC, for instance, uh, and the Chamber... They Community Development Corporation. Community Development Corporation. Franklin County Community Development Corporation. They didn't play well together, um, and we needed them to play together. And the Workforce Development Board would have these training programs, few of which were really tailored to meet the needs of manufacturers. So we built relationships, we built programs to, to uh, strengthen these manufacturing companies. And then over time, when I pulled out of the work with the Northern Tier Project, lots of these relationships and programs were left in place. So here we are almost 40 years later the Green River Music Festival is an outgrowth of the Northern Tier Project. The uh, Franklin County Wood Processing Center uh, is the largest facility of its kind in the northeast of the United States where they bring in um, small food processing companies that use their equipment and then get guidance on their business planning. So that's a critical piece of that of that. Um, uh, regions and is economy. this with local agricultural products? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a nice way for farmers uh, to add uh, value to their products by bringing those products into the food processing center. So, And also specialty food producers, people that did, did this work in their kitchens, could now bring it, in, bring it to scale in the, uh, the food processing center. And where is the food processing center? In Greenfield. Um, so, and then the transportation center, the John Over Transportation Center, one of the things we realized early on is that you, in order to have a viable economy, you have to have a way for people to get to their jobs and to get to training programs. And there was a lot of uh, fragmentation within the, uh, the transportation system in Franklin County, and he kind of consolidated it through this transportation center. The other thing that we did, was, which was also path-breaking at the time, is we looked at arts and, and creative uh, work as an economic asset. What we now call the creative economy? Yes, rather than just an amenity. People always thought, well, if you had arts and culture, it would attract companies because it's an amenity. We said, no, there's, there's people, there's artists, there's businesses in there that they're the viable economic uh, contributors in their own right. So uh -huh. explain this to me a little bit more, if you would, please, Michael Kane. There were thousands of jobs I, I remember I represented the union at Greenfield Tap and Die, and there was decimation of, of yeah. the workforce there. You point to the 13,000 jobs at GE, most of it in Pittsfield, most of those jobs were lost. It seems to me that the scale of the decimation of those, those manufacturing jobs kind of dwarfs the idea of a creative economy, or am I being too pessimistic? 
um, you, it, it, it will take generations to get beyond the, the, the devastation from the decline of manufacturing. And what you can do on a local, regional, and state level is shore up existing economic sectors that have the potential for growth. You're not going to ever substitute that number of jobs uh, with something uh, other than manufacturing. It's not going to happen. But you can cushion that blow, and, and you, can, you can still bring some economic viability and strength to a region if you focus on these different uh, smaller sectors. Buzz? Yeah, Michael, can you, when you say the decline of manufacturing, do you mean manufacturing moved to sunshine places where it's cheaper labor, et cetera, or do you literally mean a decline in the extent that manufacturing takes place? Uh, a lot of it went south where it's uh, non-union um, and, and the conditions for companies down there uh, are such that it's much in their advantage and less to the workers. Uh, and then offshoring. Uh, China was a big one, Vietnam. Uh, and uh, and uh, India, Bangladesh, all of those countries uh, took those manufacturing jobs. So just as a follow-up, do you have a proposed solution to how to bring them back? What can we do? Or, more, or keeping focus for a minute on what John overdid, what did you do? Um, well, again, we, what we tried to do is to shore up the manufacturing bases that it existed. And by giving them tax incentives, by helping them out in, b with new business? Business by, by expansions, access to capital, uh, training programs were big because the, there was a shift in manufacturing going from old school to new technology driven and the, the workforce development system. Because the old machinists had to become essentially uh, persons who were computer programmers. Correct. And the, the training infrastructure missed that entirely. So what we tried to do is to bring those companies together with GCC, Franklin Technical, the Workforce Development Board. It may seem like a small response to such a large program, I mean, a, a problem, but you had to start somewhere. And the companies were behind that. And John Over was behind that. Uh, yeah. So what could John do as a state senator and later as a congressman to facilitate this economic, I don't want to call it recovery, but economic response to the economic dilemma that Franklin County in particular was facing? Yeah, uh, a couple things. Uh, one is he brought in uh, state money uh, to help fund some of these programs that we were working on. Um, and when he was a congressman, he, he would bring in quite a lot of money into the, uh, the first congressional district. And... Um, and GCC was a, was a sort of a gem, a hidden gem, and they needed uh, lots of uh, financial support to, to, to grow out their education and training programs. Um, so it was, a, it was a blend of things. And, um, and, and for instance, the, the money to do the feasibility study that led to the f food processing center in Greenfield as we speak, that came from state funding that John was able to bring into the district. Um, and, and I think that, that fundamentally, though, we can't lose sight of the fact how much he built relationships, and that's critical. If you don't have everybody working together, then the chances of your succeeding and the scale of things are just are, are, are pitifully small. Were those efforts measurable? In other words, we know how many jobs yeah. were lost, but it's hard to know how many jobs were created. And I'm wondering if you could speak to that for a minute. 
Yeah, uh, two things about that. Um, one is it's really hard to measure success in economic development because there are so many variables. Capital is coming in and going out at such a rapid pace from different sources. There's supply chains, and you just really you can't figure out what impact is attributable to what intervention. Very difficult. Um, uh, what was the other part of your question? The other part was can if we what do we say about what the the uh, amelioration with the mitigation efforts what they produced i mean can we look at them you talk about the transportation center and yeah. the manufacturing center and the, the food processing center and uh, and in fact um there have been efforts such as mass mocha uh which of course occupies the spray electric buildings um so i'm wondering again to look at these successes and how this economic mitigation and enhancement really has worked in yep. really it's franklin county it's berkshire county it's the entire northern tier. yeah yeah well in, it, it, if we just look at franklin county where i know a little bit more of the data um the two two indicators that really show whether or not your economy is functioning on any level one is a number of jobs and then secondly is the population and for franklin county th that's been steady for the last 10 to 15 years so there hasn't been an awful lot of growth but the, but the good news is that there hasn't been a further decline. And then also, a colleague of ours um, just got broadband brought into lots of those small Franklin County communities and in other communities in western Massachusetts. That's going to be a game For changer. For which Buzz, stuck up there in the hill towns, needing to broadcast, is infinitely grateful. Thank you, Michael Gain. Oh, Grateful <laughs> is the right word. Um, I have a couple, you know, one, one or two other quick things. Sure. Um, one uh, sort of is, shows you a little bit of the humor side of John Olver. Um, I grew up in Pittsfield, um, and anybody that knows Pittsfield, Berkshire County, knows that there's a split. Some are Red Sox fans, some are Yankees fans. <laughs> I've read about this sort of thing, yes. <laughs> Bill's <laughs> marriage is what you're describing here. We do My not. family had played out. <laughs> my father was a Yankees fan. My mother said, I'm just going to goad him, so I'm going to be a Red Sox fan. So every day when they got ready to go out to coffee on North Street, he'd put on his Yankee hat, she'd put on his or, uh, Red Sox hat. So one day John and I were over there uh, 15, 20 years ago, and we ran into him. So I introduced him, said, this is my mother, this is my father, and then he just stopped, and he looked at the Yankees hat, then he looked at the Red Sox hat, and in that deadpan baritone voice of his, he said, well... I trust you have a strong marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Kellyanne and George. <laughs> so, so there was that side of him. Um, and uh, the, the other thing, I, before we conclude, I really want to emphasize the degree to which this guy took local elected officials probably more seriously than anybody I've ever met in my life. And when you think about... Uh, Pick a number of towns in Franklin County or in the Northern Tier, dozens and dozens. Select boards, planning commissions, conservation boards, city councils, watershed councils, land trusts, workforce development boards, transportation. John met with every single one of them. And he took uh, their work profoundly seriously, and he had such respect for them. And two weeks after he'd have a meeting with someone, invariably he'd say, get back to so-and-so because I want to make sure that we, we, we complete the loop there. So he had just...
profound effect and impact on people's lives. A profound, and, and I think I said this on the air. I, I'm not sure if I said it off the air, but our son graduates from sixth grade. He enters seventh grade, and he's elected Student Government Association president. Don't ask me how. For the middle school, John Olver comes for a tour. It needs a new roof or something like that. He spent 20 minutes calling him Mr. President, <laughs> as he referred to our seventh grader, explaining how bonding works in Massachusetts. It was extraordinary. Wow. Yeah. Well, it, it, he, you can multiply that a thousandfold. And those were the conversations he had. And John's legacy lives on. It will leave, live on in all of these projects, in the jobs, in the economic development, in the businesses, in the transportation, in its north-south rail and east-west rail. That has a lot of it. All of those projects have a lot of its, a lot of their genesis in John Oliver's work. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was his vision. Um, he didn't al- always have it clearly articulated, but he left it to people like me and others to, to do it. So, we'll leave it there. Michael Kane, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time and you appreciate your remembrances of John Oliver. We are so sad at his passing, but we are so glad we've been able to have you and other colleagues of John Overs be with us over the past week or 10 days to remember him, his good work, and his good person. It's amazing, Bill, how many very talented people have such incredibly fond memories of John Olver. And how many of those people are essentially graduates of the John yes. Olver School of Government that he conducted in his office and in his work? I love that. Michael Kane. thanks so much. Thanks so much to both of you. Thank Bye-bye. you. Some people say a man is made out of mud. A poor man's made out of muscle and blood. Muscle and blood and skin and bone A mind that's weak and a back that's strong You load 16 tons and what do you get? More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Sunday mornings on WHMP means polka, polka carousel. Every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, TZ brings his award-winning polka carousel to the airwaves of the valley, playing the polka classics and the latest polka hits. There are polka hits. Brought to you by Saluzniak Funeral Home, Northampton's funeral home for over 110 years and four generations of unparalleled, thoughtful memorial care. It's polka carousel every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, WHMP. Skateboarding, basketball, dancing. Ross Gay has plenty to talk about in his new book, Inciting Joy. Author of the best-selling Book of Delights, Ross Gay returns with Inciting Joy, a collection of essays on joy in its many forms. Pick up Inciting Joy, plus a new paperback edition of Book of Delights at Broadside Bookshop in downtown Northampton. Plus, order virtually any book on the Broadside website, then pick it up at the store or have it sent to your door. Do you love books? You'll love Broadside Bookshop. It was one of those big historic houses in Conway, built in the 1800s, a real beauty, though a bit of a challenge to insure. Steve bought it for about $700,000. The insurance company figured the replacement cost to be about $5 million, a bit of a gap there. But there's a specialty insurance company we work with from time to time at Whalen Insurance, and soon enough, we were able to get the house insured. When a home buyer has a tough situation with insurance, like Steve did with the house in Conway, their real estate lawyer usually sends them to us, Whalen Insurance. We'd like to insure your house, too, even if it isn't as challenging. We'll get you every discount available, and more importantly, if you ever need help or have a claim, you won't be calling a 1-800 number and entering your policy on the dial pad because at Whalen Insurance, we answer the phone. 
Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. In partnership with Mafre Insurance. Call for a quote, 586-1000. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. I want to look at the front page of today's Daily Hampshire Gazette and Buzz Dan, I want your opinions on this story. I point out that the Gazette's front page is really quite remarkable today. Granby Girl identified this is a story about an apparent homicide, years old, being solved here in Hampshire County. You want to read this story. The story that I'd like to have your opinions on is the one to the right. Uh, headlined, it is above the fold, record spike in hospital cases blamed on binging. Six town police forces, state and UMass officers, multiple ambulances called out for Borg drinking event. This is one of those where I have to read to be well-informed, reasonably well-informed about what's going on in my community and in the world because I didn't know this thing existed let me read two sentences. This is by uh, one of the one of our favorite reporters for the Gazette, Scott Merzbach. Dateline Amherst. It's the kind of record that a community doesn't want to see their local hospitals break, but that's exactly what happened Saturday when alcohol consumption among college-age students contributed to a record number of ambulance arrivals over a 24-hour period at Cooley Dickinson Hospital in Northampton. In that time frame, 62 ambulances arrived at the hospital, a more than 20% increase from a previous record of 51 ambulance calls. This, according to spokeswoman uh, Christina Trinchero, who is with Cooley Dickinson, the hospital said that 32 of those ambulances were related to a pre-St. Patrick's Day revelry by college-age people in Amherst, many of whom were participating in a binge drinking trend called Borgs, or Blackout Rage Gallons. The Amherst Fire Department and University of Massachusetts and on the story goes, okay, what's a Borg and where did it come from and how many years have I been missing this? Star Trek Next Generation. Really? No, I just, I mean, it is true. (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) It is actually the Star Trek uh, main enemy that that the Federation fought. So uh, as one who watched Star Trek as a child, I, uh, Have you been drinking, Dan? No. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, sorry, but that's what the name makes me think of. Um, if I could just share a quick story. I, I was in Amherst. I wanted to get away from all the partying on Saturday morning, so I'm driving my car. Saturday morning? Saturday morning, I'm driving this my car. This is a St. Patrick's, pre-St. Patrick's Day celebration, traditionally the Barney, Barney yes. blowout. So this is like at 11 a.m. I'm driving through to Amherst, and there I saw four ambulances between from North Amherst to downtown Amherst. It was quite a lot happening, and maybe it was 11 a.m., but I'm trying to get to, like, South Amherst near Hampshire College, and I'm driving, and a truck almost crashed into me. So it just felt like the environment was out of control in the, in the, in the streets. And not, I'm not blaming. I don't know what the, why the individual was almost crossing into my lane. This is the opposite car coming the opposite direction, but uh, that did happen, and I was, like, just 
you know, panicked because when you see a Dakota, Toyota Tacoma coming at you and he's maybe 10, 15 feet away, you're just like, what is happening in the city right now? Uh, that's just my impression uh, from that day. I think things calmed down after the morning and early afternoon celebrations. Um, so here's here's what it is, Bill. I'm going to yeah, tell you what qu- it is. My, my question is, yes, going my back question to that. is, is this binge drinking so different from other binge yes. drinking? In some ways it is. It's creative. It started on TikTok from my understanding. And so what they do is they take, let's say, a liquor from vodka and they would put it, I guess, here's from my understanding, they would put it like in a Gatorade bottle and they would put maybe half the vodka bottle inside Gatorade. So they would be carrying around a mixture of drinks plus Gatorade and other things, but it's inside a Gatorade bottle. So, so it, it looks legal. So it looks legal, so they can walk around with it. That's my understanding. It's a TikTok phenomenon that has taken off, been very popular, but you can really end up in the hospital. And apparently there were 28 ambulances all day. Yeah, I don't quite understand why this is such a big deal to get drunk early in the morning and say, it's fun. I don't, let's go to an ambulance. Let's go to a hospital. Uh, I I just don't get it. Mm -hmm. I just don't get it. I I never enjoyed being drunk, even when I was of an age where uh, you would, you know, be defiant of rules and and defy convention. I'm I'm quite concerned reading this because tomorrow our grandson turns 21 at Tulane University. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it it is... And I'm sure he's never had a drink since... And he's just waiting to turn 21 until he has a drink. I talked to him yesterday, and I said, I hope you're not going to get drunk at 21. And he said, no, I'm only going to have a couple, but my friends are taking me to a casino. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, there you go. I I mean, I, I, I know what it's like to be... Yeah, 21 years I think of they age, just want to have fun. I mean, as yeah. long as they're not driving and putting people in harm's risk. My story was just something that, that almost happened to me. But, you know, people just want to go out and have a good time. There's a lot of socializing that happens in college that, you know, involves drinking games and having fun. And it's right, part of a culture development. That is different. Yeah. And, and I also, Bill, I, I remember in those times when I did feel woozy from drinking too much, people said, don't drink water. It just dilutes it and keeps the alcohol sort of recirculating in your system. So putting it in a Gatorade bottle with Gatorade or putting it, it doesn't sound to me like a good idea. Well, don't go out on a limb there, but I think we're going to go not a good idea. For those who are interested, I was looking for this. In I do the, love the name. In the Gazette article, the uh, Blarney blowout started in the late 1990s as a bar promotion with people's line, people lined up for the 11 a.m. openings to get green beer and bagels with green cream cheese but by 2012, the festivities began to disrupt diners and shoppers. Yeah, really. This is just this. It makes, I mean, I love UMass. I love colleges. I just think this is about the stupidest, most can, destructive. Can I tell you, though, the difference? Well, uh, here, here's something that you probably know, but I'm going to share anyways, that universities don't mind this really happening deep down inside. And, and my my argument for that is, they love that the students are having a good time on the weekend. They share stories. They're making friends. Like, yes, the university wants it to be reduced so they're not creating nuisance and, and issues around the town for Amherst residents. But the truth is it's part of this college life that they actually quietly accept as part of being college life, and they're willing to tolerate it because it attracts students. Like, as bad as this is saying, is like, but going out and having a lot of fun, they tell their friends about it, maybe who are seniors in high school, so they want to come to UMass, and they want to come and have the party. 
party and have a good time. So in some ways, it's like a quiet marketing yeah. of college life. It's a true. Barney blowout. No, 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 it no, is. no, no, you no, won't no, like no. It. You won't you, like it, but it's true. UMass administrations for decades have hated the designation ZooMass. Just hated it. They think it's bad for recruitment. It's bad for what parents think of the college. It's not bad for Co- parents who saying, I'm going to spend $30,000 to send my kid to this. you got to be kidding. It's changed a lot. Asuba Swami, here's the thing. He's really changed that reputation. I haven't heard that name said in a long time. But having this party once in a while and having this kind of blowout thing, it's just creating a lot of fun and buzz for students. And that's why they're creating new events. Look, this all got started like 10 years ago when there was a major blow up in North Amherst where they actually had to like investigate the police response and what they need to do with the students. I think it's still part of the college life and culture. It's not just UMass, by the way. It's on Penn State, any big university, University of Michigan, Michigan State. They all do this. Go on a Saturday to a football game across this country, anywhere else. What do you think is happening at those college games? Come well, on, not, I, I, not five dozen ambulances. The administrations. Oh, are you kidding me? Have you been to Penn State? Do you know how many people they fit into that stadium? I'm Bill, sure this is Dan O'Torres talking about this blarney. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not defending it. I mean, I live there. You know, look, but it's it's moderate. It's moderation. They're not burning things down to the ground. You know, oh, they're just great. going out. Oh, great. UMass, where we don't burn things down. No, uh, no, no. Subaswami spent so much time and having better relationships with the town so they didn't have to put up with this he's nonsense. Le- he's leaving. He's le- okay, whatever. All right, all right, all right. right, right t- well, t- Bill, you sound like an old man to, to Dan. Okay. I'm no, gonna, you don't. You're a young man. (laughs) I'm going to leave that there, and we're going to be right back. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Northampton Mayor Gina Louise Shera is addressing the suspension of businessman Eric Schur's liquor license at Pearl Street Music Hall last month by the city's licensing commission. The most important thing, I think, from their perspective is that those licenses are being used, right? Like, we have limited licenses, which we've talked about, and we want to make sure that they're being used. Sure appealed the decision to the state's Alcoholic Beverages Control Commission, and a final decision is still pending. Meanwhile, he has until June 1st to reopen the Iron Horse Music Hall and the Green Room before those venues lose their liquor licenses, too. A Greenfield man is facing multiple drug charges after being arrested, along with a New Jersey man yesterday. The men are charged with trafficking in cocaine and possession with the intent to distribute heroin and fentanyl. Police recovered approximately two kilos of suspected cocaine, 520 bags of suspected heroin fentanyl, and $40,000. Nearly 45 years after a woman was found shot to death on a logging road in Western Mass, she has been identified through advanced genetic testing. Investigators said 28-year-old Patricia Ann Tucker was found buried under leaves off a road in Granby on November 15, 1978. She had been shot in the head. For decades, the woman known as Granby Girl was buried in a local cemetery with a headstone marked unknown. The investigation led to finding her son, who was five years old when she disappeared. Partly sunny and breezy today. In fact, there could be a few wind gusts approaching 30 miles per hour middle of the day. A high of 32 to 36 this afternoon. Scattered clouds, breezy tonight. Overnight low of 20 to 26. Partly sunny and breezy again tomorrow. A high of 42 to 46. Low to mid 40s and dry on Thursday. 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. 
El expresidente Donald Trump puede ser demandado por agentes de la policía del Capitolio lesionados y legisladores demócratas por la insurrección del 6 de enero de 2021 en el Capitolio de Estados Unidos, dijo el jueves el Departamento de Justicia en un caso en la Corte Federal que prueba la vulnerabilidad legal de Trump por su discurso antes de los disturbios. En documentos judiciales, el Departamento de Justicia le dijo a un Tribunal Federal de Apelaciones en Washington que debería permitir que las demandas avancen, rechazando el argumento de Trump de que es inmune a los reclamos. Un portavoz de Trump dijo el jueves que el presidente pidió repetidamente la paz, el patriotismo y el respeto por nuestros hombres y mujeres que hacen cumplir la ley el 6 de enero y que los tribunales deberían fallar a favor del presidente Trump en breve y desestimar estas declaraciones frívolas. En otras informaciones, se ha producido un cambio de nombre en el hogar de los soldados en Holyoke, así como una nueva cadena de mando para los servicios de veteranos en el estado, tres años después de que un brote mortal de COVID-19 cobrara la vida de casi 80 veteranos. Se estableció una nueva oficina ejecutiva de servicios para veteranos y la administración Healy Driscoll anunció que el doctor John Santiago será el nuevo secretario. Santiago es comandante de la Reserva del Ejército de los Estados Unidos, ex representante estatal y médico de la sala de emergencias. El paso mejora la cadena de mando, que es algo que, según el senador estatal John Billis, debería haber sido mejor durante el brote mortal de COVID-19 en el hogar de soldados de Holyoke en 2020. El hogar de los soldados de Holyoke ahora se llama Hogar de Veteranos de Massachusetts en Holyoke. Con esta actualización, los hogares también tendrán que solicitar y mantener ciertas licencias y certificaciones del Departamento de Salud Pública y serán inspeccionados dos veces al año. Yo soy Johan Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. March is, as most of our listeners know, International Women's Month, and tomorrow, Wednesday, is International Women's Day. With us t today to discuss how International Women's Day is going to be celebrated, observed, how the protest will go on, the fight will go on tomorrow here in Northampton. The title of the program, Women's Voices in the Struggle for Our Bodies, Our Lives. Susan Lance and Pocky Whelan, both longtime Western Massachusetts community activists and Code Pink members and fighters for social justice for so many years, I can really barely remember a time. Well, I can't remember a time when you weren't. So let me start with Pocky Whelan, if I might. Pocky, welcome back to the show. Women's Voices in the Struggle for Our Bodies, Our Lives, our 18th annual celebration of International Women's Day tomorrow here in Northampton. Tell us what's going to happen. So tomorrow we're going to have a wonderful event at the First Churches, um, bringing together people who are international workers and, uh, and local workers, too. The, the uh, past year has not been a very good year for women, uh, for women's reproductive, reproductive rights, for example. And so we have amazing two. Well, that amazing. was amazingly restrained. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for keeping us on the air. But really. Wow. Yes. But, uh, but we have these two young women from, uh, uh, who are junior high, high school people who are going to be talking with us and sharing what they're doing today about reproductive rights. So there's hope, women of the future. Do you want to tell us who this, uh, it's, it's an event? It's I'm at First Churches. I'm right in there because I'm really excited about these uh, two young gals. Um, one of them was the co-founder of Generation Ratify, 
which is mainly focused in Amherst, I guess, at the moment. And um, she co-founded... Is this Marisol Pierce Boniface? Yes, Marisol (laughs) Pierce Boniface, who is dynamite. This this apple did not far (laughs) from this John Boniface tree, that's for sure. You know her heritage. And I've heard her speak a number of times at rallies here in Northampton. She's fabulous. Is she impressive? And I'm under the impression that she is, I don't know, 15 or 13? I don't know, but it gives me such hope. Here are these young gals. They're up there. They're they're doing it. They're just, you know, really, really terrific. And along with her is Alice Jenkins, who's a high school um, student in uh, Hampshire Regional. And she uh, received the 2022 Defending Democracy Award from the League of Women Voters. So, again, we have these people who are starting up the ranks and giving us Ulsters a lot of hope. So it's, you know, really terrific. Well, in the, in the world of Ulsters, not to put too fine a point on it, but I assume the Raging Grannies will be there. Oh, well, of course. We uh, have a uh, multi, multi-generational <laughs> yes, representation. that's going on. But we also have drumming. Uh, the, the offbeat off, women. Yeah, the offbeat women. W-O-M-Y-N, drummers. Yes, that's correct. That's politically correct. Um, and uh, so they'll be with us, and then the pièce de la résistance. Go ahead. Oh, good. Uh, is <laughs> Pamela Means, who I'm going to let Pocky talk about her because oh. she is just the most amazing uh, rising star in the folk music and beyond. Uh, this woman sings folk, sings uh, blues, sings jazz. She's just amazing. And we're going to have her at entertaining us tomorrow night because this is a real celebration. You know, I, I've been lamenting that we don't, we don't have holidays in this country, you know. We don't, you know, I talked to a, my grandson who was in Italy for a year, and he, I said, so what happens on a, on a national holiday? And he says, the country closes down. And uh, we, we need to do that here more. Uh, because uh, we need to celebrate these things like International Women's Day and really focus on what's the excitement here. And so we have, we're going to have some good speakers, these young women. And, and this Native American woman is going to talk about her experience. But we're also celebrating. You know, it's a little like that Holly Near song that's floating around again, We're Still Here. <laughs> and, uh, and you're still here, so here we are. Well, that's one of the major, uh, major top of the resume. Still here. <laughs> Going to put that first. Um, let's talk about Pamela Means for another moment, if we could. She's amazing. I have heard her live, and what a voice! What a musician! And her songs are so inspiring, and her and the clarity not only of her voice but of her words. I mean, she is an amazing. Or how'd you get her? Well, we it was, we it, was asked, a, it was a you coup. Asked. We, we, we asked. We asked. Right? You know. Exactly. Well, first of all, I went to her concert at Mount Toby uh-huh. uh, last month, and and the thing that was amazing about her is not only is she a great singer, but uh, but her lyrics are so informative. She uh, she informed us about the fifty first of the Federalist Papers that was co authored by. Uh, James Madison, who later became president, and talked about how the the whole point of that Article 51 was uh, to to make sure that the white men with 
money and power, stated power. That was the, the idea of the government. And she puts this to music, and it's great. She's, uh, yeah, she's just an amazing person. So yes, we asked her, and she said, yes, I'll come. So she's going to be singing a few songs for us. So folks, if for no other reason you, uh, you, you want to come out tomorrow night, come to hear yes. Pamela Means. <laughs> and I just, you know, it's not all light and froth. We do have this wonderful Iranian uh, woman, Hakama uh, Zada, who is coming to speak. And she had to flee Iran about 40 years ago via Italy and um, Turkey. But one thing I read about her was so interesting. In the late 70s, early 80s, she would go out to protest in Iran, say goodbye to her parents, never knowing whether she would see them again after saying goodbye. And that is what she has grown up with. And then she has now been in Western Mass or in the United States for about 40 years. And uh, she was the first to lead a uh, rally for her brothers and sisters in Iran or her sisters after the death of um, uh, Masha Amini. Uh, in Iran, and so she came down and led the rally in Northampton uh, and <clears throat> said, she declared, I respect my moral obligation to the people of Iran. I didn't come to this country to educate myself. I came because of injustice in my country. And so she is still with her brothers and sisters, and I'm really anxious to hear what she has to say. It will be very interesting. Yeah, particularly given the situation in Iran today. I right. would love to hear what she has to say. One other speaker, too, I believe? Yeah, Nyana LaFond, who is a um, Native of a Native American mixed heritage of many tribes. She is an artist and artistic, and she currently has an exhibit at our local Augusta Savage Museum at the UMass. And it's very, very powerful, and it's on the missing and disappeared indigenous people um, of, of the times. And again, it was, maybe she'll speak to this as to how this came about, but it was sort of during the COVID period that she got on to doing these portraits with the red, the really red hand of silence placed on these people who have been disappeared. This is a celebration at First Churches tomorrow, Wednesday, March 8th, International Women's Day from 7 to 9 o'clock, free, open to the public. Just come. Don't have to register. But you can see it online if you... You, you can do yes, it. <laughs> yes, you can. You can. It is a, a hybrid. Uh, we're really encouraging people to come. Uh, people will be masked and there, you know, there are precautions. But um, being together is something that we have certainly enjoyed doing. And uh, and just, you know, as we're sitting around here, it's so much more fun. Um, just a reminder that we are, we are community. We are. We are. We are speaking with Susan Lance and Pocky Whelan, longtime community activists, members of Western Massachusetts Code Pink and Western Massachusetts Code Pink Women for Peace. They are part of the presentation tomorrow night at First Churches, Women's Voices in the Struggle for Our Bodies, Our Lives. When we come back, I want to talk more about the struggle. We'll be right back. Yeah, if I am my one. 
This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Push, push, come on, one more. Let's go, go, go. Is this your idea of personal training? If so, you've got it all wrong. Or perhaps we've got it all right at Fitness Together, where we meet you where you are to get you where you want to be. Fitness Together trainers help you reach your goal at any fitness level, even despite ailments and physical limitations. So don't let a misconception keep you from having the energy to do what you love. Learn how you can get it together at Fitness Together Amherst or Northampton. You spend seven or eight hours a night together and you're supposed to decide if you're right for each other in a matter of minutes? This has never made sense to me. So when you're in my store, trying to decide which mattress is right for you, at some point, I think you and I just need to stop talking. I need to leave you alone, give you plenty of time to lay down and maybe even forget you're in a furniture store. Hi, it's Robin, Robin from Talon. Think about it, seven or eight hours, night after night, and what do you really know about mattresses? I don't mean to make it daunting or complicated. I just think you need two things, information and time. If I give you as much information as you want and as much time as you need, I think you'll settle on a mattress you'll be happy with. At least that's the way it seems to go for most people. Talon Furniture, the small, unhurried furniture and mattress store just down the hill from Amherst College. Part of what I love about being a therapist in community mental health is really getting to know people who are from really different backgrounds, including serving people who are the most vulnerable. Dan is a therapist at ServiceNet. There's a culture of thinking more deeply about the work we're doing. And for me, when I do that, that feels really good. If you're a licensed mental health clinician who wants to make your own hours while also being part of a progressive community mental health team, join us at ServiceNet. Go to the employment page at servicenet.org. Chess, advice, whiskey, and acapella. What's going on? A look around the valley with provisions. The Silver Chord Bowl, New England's longest-running collegiate acapella showcase, returns for its 39th year, Sunday, March 12th, at Northampton's Academy of Music. You play chess? Join the chess club at East Hampton's Williston Library Wednesdays at 4 p.m. All welcome. It's drop-in chess at Northampton's Forbes Library, all levels. Also Wednesdays from 1 to 3. The Academy Youth Productions presents Dear Edwina Jr., the adventures of a plucky young advice giver extraordinaire as she shares wisdom and song with the neighborhood kids. March 9th and 10th at Northampton's Academy of Music. Have a wee dram, won't you? It's an Irish whiskey tasting Friday, March 17th, 4 to 7 at Provisions in downtown Northampton. This is Jim Neal with What's Going On, a monthly look around at food and beverage, arts and music, and anything cool. What's Going On is presented by Provisions. Wine, beer, cheese at the foot of Crafts Avenue in downtown Northampton, in the Mill District in North Amherst, and now in the Longmeadow Shops. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. Wednesday, March 8th, tomorrow is International Women's Day and at First Churches from 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock, free and open to the public, of course, as First Churches is the sanctuary for so many 
events and so many groups and so many people for so many years here in Northampton in Western Massachusetts. Wednesday, March 8th from 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock, the 18th annual celebration of International Women's Day presented by Western Massachusetts Code Pink Women for Peace. The title of the program, Women's Voices in the Struggle for Our Bodies, Our Lives. Susan Lance and Pocky Whelan, longtime members of Code Pink and activists here, social justice warriors here in Western Massachusetts, I'd like to go back to the title of the presentation and in part, Women's Voices in the Struggle for Our Bodies, Our Lives. Given what I consider a very dire state of affairs uh, with a Supreme Court that is uh, basically an instrument for corporations and billionaires and ant people who oppose democracy and are in favor of voter suppression, I think it's a very dire Supreme Court. It's a very dire, dysfunctional Congress. Uh, where, do, where, do, where do we go? What do yeah. we do? I want to hear your thoughts about the struggle in the future. I, I have to say I, I am so stunned um, after all these years. My first act of political whatever was in 1970 going down to D.C. To, you know, to say I have a right to my body to my thing, and I, I am appalled at where we are now. And besides the Supreme Court uh, decision, uh, the Walgreens <laughs> announcement of not uh, selling the anti-abortion medicine pills anymore, that just, I, I, I can't fathom how we got here. But I, I do think the only path forward and the way to go forward is with the struggle by the people all the way up. And unfortunately, it has to keep on going on, going on. Uh, and it's the women who have to get out there and keep going and yelling and screaming. Right. And just note, yeah. as I think you did, that Walgreens saying we won't sell uh, Mifepristone we will not allow women to control their own reproductive health. We, Walgreens, corporate America, is going to stand by the anti-choice Supreme Court, shoulder to shoulder, men telling women what to do. These corporate masters saying, women, you can't control your own body. It's horrifying. And, and thank God, I don't know that thank God, but thank goodness anyway <laughs> for the governor of California yesterday saying, we're going to cut off Walgreens. We're not doing business with them. So that's something. Boycott Walgreens. Boycott. Well, there, I wanted to ask you, what are you going to do about Walgreens? Well, we're working, we're deciding, we'd like to have a sustained standout at uh, Walgreens locally and, and decide on a time and a date, and so it's something that can grow and build, and we'll just do it as long as we have to do it. And you're all invited to come when you can on the day and the time and be there and... We're going to raise this up. This is we can't tolerate this. Right. Well, if yeah. California can say we're not going to do business and our health uh, system is not going to do business with Walgreens, we're not going to support those misogynists who are running that company and that misogynist company. I don't see why Massachusetts can't do something well, like that too. We would like Massachusetts to do that, and and in the meantime, while while we're pushing Massachusetts to do that, uh, every one of us can get on our social media. And, and tell all of our friends to boycott, boycott, boycott. That's, that's, that's the tool. You're talking about the, the business people. What, what is it that they understand best? Money. You got it. So what we can do is we can cut them off. 
Well, we can certainly take action. We can do that, and it's and it's yeah. a big or, it's a big organizing project. Yeah, but also I I guess I really don't understand how some judge in Texas can pass something that affects the whole country. Right, because they picked a judge in Texas who they know re- on his based on his re- very fervent religious conviction is totally opposed to all abortion. Life begins at conception, and according to him. Anyone who engages in a reproductive choice at that point is a murderer, and he's going to stop it. And he's a federal judge, and he's certified a nationwide class action, and he can do it. And he can. Yes. And that's what we have to tell him. And also, we are all—I mean, what really galls me is here is all this claim to life at conception. And then where is the care of the children after they come into the planet. Uh, it's the protection of life until birth. Right, although there is actually a movement afoot to try to join forces on the one thing that uh, anti-choice zealots um, agree with persons who are of a progressive bent, and that is we should take care of kids. Um, and it's, it's a small, it's a tiny fraction of the uh, anti-choice movement, but uh, but in fact, there are some people that say, yeah, we should take care of the kids. We should do that. We should have uh, universal uh, pre-K. We should have good daycare. We should have uh, these kinds of services available to mothers and families. We should do that. Now, most of them don't care about that. They only care about making sure that they yeah. control women's bodies according to their religious dictates. But anyway. You always have to look for the glimmers of light, yeah. And there is that glimmer. Yeah. Well... Buzz? I just wanted to ask, what is the event again, and where is it? How do we find out about it? Okay. It's the International Women's Day 18th annual event, and this year it is tomorrow night, Wednesday, March 8th, at First Churches in downtown Northampton, 7 p.m. Be there, and you'll be there with the beloved community, with the beloved community of activists who want to make change, and we can do it. We can do it if and show up and join us, please. Action-packed event. Come in the side door of First Churches. And you will be inspired, and you'll be so happy you did. Thank you both. And you so, get to sing, too. Susan Lance, Packy Whelan, thank you both so very much. Now I've got the pill. All these years I've stayed at home while you had. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Voting as well as early voting is the way to go. It shows that we trust the voters. They know why they need an early ballot. They know why they need an absentee ballot. It's not up to government to decide if it's a legitimate reason or not. The voters should get to choose. So this, I think, is a huge advance. 1015-1400-1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. Northampton Radio Group Station. It's 10 o'clock. This is CBS News on the Hour, presented by Paul Gauguin Cruises. 
I'm Deborah Rodriguez. The bad news keeps coming for Norfolk Southern Railroad. We've just learned a conductor died in an accident outside a large steel production facility in Ohio this morning. WOIO-TV's Vic Gideon is in Cleveland. What we understand, there was a dump truck on one of the tracks. A train struck that dump truck. That did kill a Norfolk Southern employee. Three Norfolk Southern train derailments have made headlines over the past month, including one that spilled toxic chemicals in East Palestine, Ohio. We're learning more about the four Americans kidnapped in northern Mexico Friday. Correspondent Omar Villafranca is in Brownsville, Texas. Latavia Tamegi's aunt told CBS News she believes her niece was going to Mexico for cosmetic surgery, a common practice since procedures are less expensive south of the border. This woman in Brownsville says Matamoros, site of the kidnappings, is notorious for crime. I wouldn't want my children going over there to be on spring vacation because it's just you just don't know what can happen. President Biden has plans to keep Medicare up and running for another 25 years or so. In an op-ed in today's New York Times, he proposes increasing taxes on people who earn more than $400,000 a year and new rules to reduce prescription drug costs. Weight Watchers is moving into the white-hot market for diabetes drugs that can also help you slim down. Correspondent Matt Piper. Sequence, which Weight Watchers is acquiring, is a subscription service that offers telehealth visits with doctors who can prescribe drugs like Ozempic and Wagovi, known to help people lose weight fast. It solves an important pathway, but these are not quote-unquote magic pills. Weight Watchers CEO Seema Sestani says there's more to this new partnership than a quick-fix pill. This is about addressing a chronic condition in the same way that one might think about high cholesterol or hypertension. A new study finds one quarter of parents have lied about their kids having COVID or being vaccinated so they wouldn't have to stay home from work to take care of them. Study author Andrew Germankin-Levy. They wanted life to return to normal for their child and that they wanted to maintain their personal autonomy as parents. Oklahomans are headed to the polls in a special election to decide on legalizing recreational pot for people 21 and over. KWTV's Natalie Cruz from Oklahoma City. State question 820 would not affect the existing medical marijuana program, but if passed, recreational marijuana would be legal effective June 5th. And cities can regulate time, place, and manner of marijuana businesses, but they cannot limit the number or ban them outright. This is CBS News. CBS News is brought to you by Paul Gauguin Cruises. Artfully authentic, all-inclusive year-round cruising to Tahiti and the South Pacific. Visit pgcruises.com today. Do you know what people see when they Google you? Search engines don't always get it right. And when they're wrong, it's your reputation on the line. So what do you do when you don't agree with your search results? Call Reputation Defender at 800-401-6681. Reputation Defender by Norton is one of the most trusted names in online reputation repair. We have over a decade of experience in fixing people's search results, and we can help you too. Using cutting-edge approaches, Reputation Defender pushes unflattering information down to lower pages of your search results, where few people ever look. We also promote the good stuff so that it rises to the top, letting you put your best foot forward. Your good name is too valuable to leave to the whims of a Google algorithm. You owe it to yourself to take control with Reputation Defender. Visit www.reputationdefender.com or call 800-401-6681 for free advice on your situation. 800-401-6681. That's 800 800-401- For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. 
State Senator Joe Comerford and Rep. Natalie Blay will lead the new Joint Committee on Agriculture this legislative session. Comerford will serve as vice chair of the committee on the Senate side, and Blay will also serve as vice chair on the House side, giving Western Mass farmers a pivotal role in the state's economy. There's been a growing understanding about the importance of farms and farmers, farm workers, and the food system. Senator Comerford said the supply chain issues caused by the pandemic increased reliance on local food sources, highlighting their importance. There is a keen interest in farming and the ecosystem around farming, and that's infrastructure and workers and farmers, and how to really sustain it, both in good times and in bad. Comerford will also serve as Assistant Vice Chair of the Senate Ways and Means Committee this session. Multiple fire crews were called to Loudville Road in West Hampton yesterday for reports of a car that had gone over an embankment. Northampton Fire says the car was seen on its roof in the brook. Before fire crews arrived, the driver was able to remove themselves from the car and did not sustain injuries. UMass Amherst workers are speaking up over a plan by the university to privatize the jobs of more than 100 employees who work in fundraising. Unions, students, professors, and supporters rallied outside the Whitmore building yesterday to try and save the jobs of the approximately 100 individuals who work for the university's advancement office and who will lose state positions and pensions if these positions are eliminated. Partly sunny and breezy today. In fact, there could be a few wind gusts approaching 30 miles per hour middle of the day. A high of 32 to 36 this afternoon. Scattered clouds, breezy tonight. Overnight low of 20 to 26. Partly sunny and breezy again tomorrow. A high of 42 to 46. Low to mid 40s and dry on Thursday. 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And welcome to the program. I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And I'm Bill Newman. And this is our monthly uh, conversation with Senator Paul Mark. We have, uh, we've known him in a number of different incarnations. We've known him as an, uh, a, a professor. We've known him as a representative. And now as of this session... Uh, he is a senator representing um, the, uh, let me get it straight, Berkshire, Hamden, Franklin, Hampshire. How did I do, uh, Senator? Well done. Well <laughs> done. Right order and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Good. And, and for those who don't know, it's an incredible district that you represent. If you take the map of Massachusetts and sort of draw a straight line midway through Franklin, Hampshire, and Hamden from all the way from the Vermont border straight down to Southwick, the Connecticut border, everything west of that, it's like you have 25% of the state in your district. Is that right? <laughs> it is. It's bigger than the state of Rhode Island. <laughs> wow. I didn't know that one. And there's 57 municipal... We're the, municipal... We're the 49th state. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I'm going to remember that. Okay. So now it's, it's, pre it's President Mark, is it? <laughs> <laughs> President of the state of the uh, Berkshire, Hamden, Franklin, Hampshire district. Right? There you go. Well done, Bill. <laughs> yeah, and, and like Heinz, you have 57 flavors. So before I ask my very first question, how do you keep in touch with 57 municipalities over such a wide geographical area? How do you stay in touch with your constituents? It's tough. So, like, there's, there's email, and I'm still personally doing my own email, which is a lot because it, it did quadruple. But, you know, there's, there's, we did an office hours in the town of Chester. We're doing one in Worthington next week. We're just all over the, or excuse me, Williamstown next week. We, we, we try to do at least two, like, town hall style uh, office hours every month. And then we have, like, a roving 
office hours. My, my, my district's basically six districts rolled into one. And so we, we do, we do each region <laughs> of the district twice a month. Well, it's in a lot of travel. And I appreciate it. As one of your constituents, I, I very much appreciate it. Could you go back for, for one second? If you do two a month for 57, that's going to take you, how to put this, a really long time. To, to, <laughs> I mean, that's an enormous burden. I mean, I mean and, and in between, of course, you have to be staying in touch with all those elected officials in order to be representing them properly on Beacon Hill. Bill Newman, I see the perfect campaign ad. It's, want me to visit your town? Vote for me again. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get there in the next eight years. Um, no, when, it, when, when we first looked at the idea like these office hours, I said, well, if I go to one town a week, I can't get there in a year. So with the six, it's actually seven. We hit, we hit seven communities every month. And so then if I do the others at least two a month, I can get to every town each term is, is like the best you can do in, in a district this big. So, Senator Palmark, uh, this is not the first time you've had to travel a lot. As a state rep, you had to travel a lot. And in particular, I wanted to ask you, I remember when you took um, the subcommittee on student debt, of which you chaired, on the mm-hmm. road. You went around and held hearings throughout the Commonwealth on student debt. Right now, the president has a proposal to relieve millions of student debt obligations, which is being challenged by some people who, by the state of Nebraska and some people who did not themselves uh, qualify to have that uh, that debt relief. And uh, it's gone to the Supreme Court, and uh, we are very concerned about the Supreme Court's, uh, the possibility, if not the likelihood, that they're going to say the president lacks the authority because Congress didn't authorize it. I know that you have firsthand information. You've talked to people, you've held hearings, people who suffer the burden of debt relief. And I'd like to hear you talk about that. Oh, yeah. When, when you get out of college or law school or even even just a four-year degree, and you get out of college with somewhere between 500 to to $1,000 a month in student debt, that influences every decision you're going to make for at least the next 10 to 20 years, if not your entire life. And so if you're thinking about getting married, maybe not. You're thinking about buying a house, maybe not. You're thinking about having kids. People talk about like a declining birth rate. Well, this this is part of that. It's like, how can you afford that when you're paying more than like a normal or <laughs> you're paying more than a mortgage used to cost to uh, to, to student debt every every month? And the problem is there's two problems. That's, that's money that's going not into the local economy. So it's being taken actually directly out of the local economy and going off to some some ether somewhere. And at the same time, the federal government traditionally profits about $55 billion off of making these student loan payments to our own people in, in the United States, which is just ridiculous to me. To me. So, yeah, no, any, anything that can be done, if, if, if you don't like this, I can't imagine what the state of Nebraska's objection was, but if you don't like this, then think about it as an economic stimulus, that you are putting somewhere between 250 to $1,000 a month back into the hands of people that are going to come to local businesses, are going to spend money locally, they're going to save for retirement, they're going to make better investments. And I mean, to me, that, that's a no-brainer. To me, it's a no-brainer as well. So the new session has, has started um, in uh, the legislature. What is it, the hundred and what, what's the number of our session this year? I always forget. 193. 193. That's a lot of sessions. And (laughs) you've just gotten committee assignments. So could you talk about what your committee assignments are? 
Yeah. So in, in the Senate, you, uh, at least as a Democrat, you always chair a committee. And so I was named the chair of the Joint Committee on Tourism, Arts and Cultural Development, which for a region like ours, uh, especially the Berkshires, but extending all the way into the Valley Towns, is, is so crucial. It's, it's such an important part of our local economy. It's such an lo- uh, important part of, I think, what people think are is important. And just I'm thinking about Ashfield, like double-edged theater, just being able to showcase double-edged theater and highlight what they do and try to bring some attention to that from the rest of the state, I think is is a great place to be in a first term. Uh, I also, because there's so few of us in the Senate and there's so many committees, I'm named the vice chair of transportation and the vice chair of bonding as well. And so transportation, obviously a critical moment where we're talking about West East Rail, we're talking about um, what rail services should look like in all of Western Massachusetts. We're talking about funding regional transit authorities and rural school transportation, all of that. And then bonding is the committee that is in charge of borrowing in, in terms of in, in, in charge of how we borrow, how we take on debt, and then when we borrow, what we spend it on for the most part. And so hopefully a good chance to try to put um, some language into the law that will benefit a lot of the local communities. And then I, I still get to serve on five other committees, <laughs> which when you're a chair in the House, you're generally only on the committee you're chair of. So it's going to be a lot of hearings and a lot of a lot of running around, uh, even in the State House itself. Senator Mark, this is Bill. I want to hear more about East-West Rail, but before leaving this creative economy uh, topic, you also have the town of Chester in your district, and the Chester mm-hmm. Theater, which is another extraordinary uh, venue. And I assume that that's part of uh, the economic development uh, for the region as well. Yeah, Chester's the town I was in over the weekend uh, doing one of these office hours. And yet Chester Theater is something that's up and coming. So I love that you've, you've heard of it and uh, and that people in, in uh, the Northampton area, if they're listening, are going to think about maybe taking a ride out there. But then also the historic rail, railway station. So there's the potential. That used to be a hub of like local commerce to try to get, if if and when this west-east rail uh, line happens across the whole state, trying to get some stops in Chester and letting that serve as an economic driver. And this is a town, I, I pose this question to the people in the town. Now, if I start fighting to make sure Chester is included, there's not going to be a bunch of people in town that say, no, 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 we don't want those out-of-towners coming here. We don't want the nature of our town to change. And they, were, they said, no, the town is unified. We want this. This is the message. Is we want to be part of the state. And and I think, yeah, the opportunity to take a train, check out the Chester Theater, check out some of the local restaurants, go to some of the local hiking and such in the area, I, I think could be wonderful for a community like that and great for the region. And so I wanted to ask you, you are um... – we're talking about higher education when we're talking about this debt relief problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot happening in the state between the governor's uh, announcement, between the Senate president's announcement. What are your what are, what can you tell us about what's happening with respect to paying for higher education in this Commonwealth of Massachusetts? Yeah, so so the governor in her budget is proposing a program that people over twenty five that maybe didn't finish college or want to go back for some workforce development or personal enrichment are going to have the chance to go back for free. And and when I think about what that means, and to me personally, is, is I think back to my father, man working in a warehouse, the warehouse closes when he's in his mid-40s. And so you've been working in a warehouse for 20 years, the world around you has changed, the nature of work has changed, you don't have a lot of marketable skills to gain like really good employment right away. And so when I think about other people facing that same situation, and then having the chance you know, you could go back to school for two years and, and, and maybe pick up a trade position, learn how to do nursing or, or get 
the foundation you need to then continue on to a four-year degree. I mean, that's life-changing for people. That's, that's life-changing for people as they try to open those doors to opportunity and, and, and just have the best life possible. And then with the Senate president talking about this idea of like free, completely outright free community college, I imagine where we're going to end up is somewhere in the middle. But just the idea that that's the conversation right now is that we have a more educated workforce than anywhere else in the country. And that is why Massachusetts stays successful and that we want to make sure that we're at the forefront of that as, as we move forward into the future, I think is a great conversation to have. And again, you know, to, to me personally, this could have changed my life growing up and it certainly could have made it easier to pursue degrees uh, that I was lucky enough to end up getting, but had to go through immense obstacles to find my way there. So of the bills that you've proposed, what are the ones that are really important that you want to share with listeners? So, so uh, on the, in the higher education front, Senator Comerford, myself, and a couple of other senators are the leads on a bill called the Cherish Act. And I know, I know Max Page is a, is, a, is a frequenter from the MTA of the program, so always give him a shout-out because the MTA is really putting a lot of its, um, a lot of its chips into higher education this session. And so trying to, I think in the governor's budget, the way she proposed funding for UMass and other publics, UMass would get to a situation where they don't have to raise tuition or fees this coming year. So just maximizing the opportunity for people to get a college education and fund that properly, I think is important. And the Cherish Act could be an important component of that. And then I know we've talked about the Green Bank. Is, is, is what, I'm starting to hear that this is one of the favorite pieces of environmental legislation uh, from a lot of environmental advocacy groups, so hoping that that's going to happen and, and put funding into the hands of people that are looking to do renewable energy projects and create green jobs, I, I think is important at this moment where there is funding available from Washington for us to take advantage of. Senator Mark, I'd like to go back for one minute to something you just said, mm-hmm. because many of our listeners are just getting to know you. And they're going to know more about you after this legislative session because you are going to be a really important senator. I'd like to, you to take a minute. For those of our listeners who don't know you, tell, tell them, tell us about your background because it, it, your story, your personal story is one that I, I find really inspiring. And I'd appreciate it if you do that. <coughs> well, thank you for saying that. Um... Sometimes I get choked up when I think about it. So, so there's a moment where I'm about 11 years old, and me, my mother, and my sister are watching the evening news, old old days when there's you know three channels, and you're sitting around the TV, and there's no cell phones, there's no internet, nothing like that. And so as we're watching the evening news, there's an announcement that the warehouse where my father is working at is going to close, and this is before he gets home to tell us. And so when he gets home, he can see we're already worried. He's devastated, and. Unfortunately, we were right to be worried and we were right to be devastated because then basically the rest of the time I lived in the house with my, my family, um, we were on hard times. There was and my, and my father always worked, but he could never find a job with his skill level that, that could match where he had been. And so there's moments where we were on food stamps, there's moments where we're foreclosed, we're evicted, we moved around a lot, and it kind of culminates in I get out of high school I go to college for a year at UMass and I drop out because I don't have any money. I don't have any money to take on debt. I don't want to take on debt. I can't pay tuition. I can't afford to do anything you want to do when you're like 19 years old. And then everything changes for me. I find this job at the phone company, Bell Atlantic back then, eventually Verizon, working on landline telephones, climbing telephone poles as an outside technician. And it's a union job. And I joined the IBW, Electrical Workers Union, and 
we have fair pay, we have on-the-job safety standards, we have vacation time, we have 100% health care paid for by our employer, a pension that is matched, and they have this tuition plan. And because of the tuition plan that I think covered 80% of my, my tuition, I go back to school and I do an associate's degree, I do a bachelor's degree, I do a master's degree, I do a law degree, and I do a doctoral degree. And so what do I, why do I tell this story? Because when I'm 19 years old, everything looks pretty bleak. And when I'm 31 years old, 12 years later, I have these degrees. So I obviously had the talent and the drive and the passion, but there was this barrier in my way and it was financial. What an important story. I know the two of the bills that you currently, uh, we're going to take a break in a couple of minutes, but before we do, uh, I know that you're sponsoring a an act relative to wrongful discharge from employment and an mm-hmm. act relative to unemployment compensation and labor disputes. I know how passionate mm-hmm. you are for, about workers' rights, as you just described. Could you tell us about those two proposals? Yeah, and that, and I always say the company didn't give us that money because they were just, you know, generous and loving. They, they gave us the money in the tuition plan because we fought for it. So being in a union changed my life and opened those doors. And like I said, there's other barriers and other other ways to break through those. And that's like why I do this job to try to make as many people as possible have that chance. And so with the two bills you described specifically, when members choose to go on strike, there can be issues with unemployment. Sometimes they're entitled, sometimes they're not. And so this would clarify that when you are on strike after 30 days, uh, that you would be entitled to unemployment benefits. And the idea there is to kind of level the playing field out a bit so that no company, no business, no um, no anyone is it, would just try to make workers be out out of out of work uh, longer because they have this natural advantage in in that. Well, at some point you're going to need to pay for stuff, so you're probably going to want to come back to work. They can't instead, starve you to death because you're striking. Exactly, exactly. Instead, instead you work together, and it's already the situation. If you're locked out, that that is the company chooses to make you not come to work. You can get unemployment. So just leveling that playing field out. And then the other bill is about people don't realize, I know you're both attorneys, but the average person I don't think realizes that unless you have a contract, you are an at-will employee. So you can be fired at any time for no reason or for any reason. And so this would change that and join uh, other states like Montana that have that have put this protection idea in place that, yeah, you can be you can be laid off because the company's not doing well or something like that, but you can't be laid off because we want to bring our son in or our nephew in, that, that kind of thing. Really important. We are talking to Senator Paul Mark. Uh, when we come back, I want to ask him more about transportation. He is vice chair of the Joint Committee on Transportation. We're going to be back with Senator Paul Mark right after these messages. What I'd like to do right now is... Uh paint you a little picture of what that's like. Massachusetts Afternoon. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Hearing the verdict and hearing the words racial animus were extremely painful for, certainly for myself, and for the women and men of the Greenfield Police Department who really do go to work every day to serve the people of Greenfield. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Come on over to the co-op, the Greenfield Cooperative Bank. 
Hi, I'm Mike Buckmaster, Senior Vice President, Commercial Lending at Greenfield Cooperative Bank and its Northampton Co-op Bank Division. Are you starting a business? Or maybe you're looking for financing to help your current business grow. Our experienced local commercial team can help you out. We'll walk you through the process and let you know what information and forms are needed so you're fully prepared. As a community bank, all our lending decisions are made locally and our commercial lenders are well equipped to ask the right questions to make your loan application move fast and easy. Ready to chat? Give us a call or stop by and see us. We'll meet you at any of our Hampshire and Franklin County locations. Or if you prefer, we're also happy to meet you at your business. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender, member FDIC, member DIA. You can count on your friends at the co-op. Right in your town, maybe even in your neighborhood, an immigrant is building a new life, trying to find their way, all while learning a new language. The International Language Institute offers free English classes for immigrants and refugees, for true beginners and others, like students in our Bridge to College and Careers program. One of the nation's top language schools is right here with free English classes for immigrants and refugees. The International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back with Senator Paul Mark. This is a segment we're calling On the Mark. Uh, he is the senator from the Berkshire, Hamden, Franklin, and Hampshire district, and he is the vice chair of the Joint Committee on Transportation. Joint Committee meaning there are members of both chambers, the House and the Senate, uh, in Massachusetts on the committee. Uh, senator Mark, I, we are all obsessed with the wondrous idea that we might have east-west rail and on the northern tier running across east to west um, have increased rail uh, there so that both for economic development and for a lot of other reasons, the state becomes accessible west to east for people. But um, I, in the wake of this, uh, these terrible derailments in Ohio, one of them being really horrific, the other being not quite as horrific but nevertheless troubling, I just read that between 1990 and 2021, there's almost 55,000 train derailments. That is almost 1,800 derailments per year um, on average. And I'm wondering, when we put in this thing, which we all want to see, this west-east rail, how are we gonna, what are we going to do about making sure that it's safe? Yeah, so, so that's, that's actually one of the things that we're investing in. Because when we talk about the west-east rail, we're not talking about, or even the, the northern tier, we're not talking about like running new tracks or running uh, you know, bullet train, unfortunately. We're talking about upgrading the tracks as they exist. And so there's things over the past like three, four years that we've been fighting for in, in funding, things that aren't glamorous, but are all about safety switching, all about items like positive train control, things that like no one's ever heard of that are upgrades to try to make this as safe as possible. And so you, you have existing freight track, and then you're trying to get better and reliable and regular rail service running over it. And so obviously we've seen problems in the MBTA, whether it's the subway or the commuter rail system, and we don't want any of that happening either. We want to make sure this is safe, this is reliable, and it's something you can get on and, and go back and forth across the state and come back the same day. And so one of the investments I know the governor proposed in her budget was – around $8 million for the station in Pittsfield to try to upgrade it. And that's something that is crucial to making sure that a stop to Pittsfield could actually happen. And, and if that happens, 
investing in Pittsfield is a, is a clear sign that, yeah, we, we don't want this to end in Worcester. We don't want this to end in Springfield. We want to make sure this goes across the whole state and ultimately onto Albany. And then it's, that's going to benefit the Valley as well, because it's going to make a hub that goes north, south, east, west. And for the first time, connects the whole state in a public transit form. Senator Mark, I, I don't understand one aspect of this. It is in the interest of the railroads to not have derailments. It is in the interest of the insurance companies that insure the railroads to not have derailments. It is the interest of the public to not have derailments. It's the interest of the towns where the tracks are and the trains run through to not have derailments. What is so difficult about getting this right as a systemic matter, as a policy matter? Yeah, and unfortunately, I don't, I don't have a good answer for that. And that, that question you could ask over so many so many areas, so many industries. Like, why would, why would um, I'll pick on Verizon because I used to work there. Why would Verizon, who had customers in Western Massachusetts for a hundred years, not continue to invest in their product and not have fiber optics? When I was installing fiber optics in the town of Woburn back in 2004, it's it's just it's just cost cutting. It's meeting Wall Street targets uh, that are quarterly. It's 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 the wrong focus, uh, I, I think, for business, and a focus that you don't see from many local and small businesses, and that we didn't used to see when we were building this country. Yeah, it's really troubling. So, um, as I often have asked you during our monthly conversations, Paul Mark, uh, what's the takeaway that you want to leave our listeners with before we break? Well, it's it's an exciting time right now because we're in the middle of budget season. So I, I would say if people are familiar with the governor's budget, let us know whether it's the House members, they're going to do the budget in April, or the, or the senators, we do the budget in May. This is the time to let us know what do you think should be funded, where do you think the governor got it right, where did she get it wrong, what do you think about tax cuts or, or, or tax increases for that matter. And, um, yeah, this, this is the time to make your voice heard on budget matters, especially now through the end of May. And we will leave it there. We I've been talking with Senator Paul Mark. Our segment is called On the Mark, a monthly segment. And uh, after a dozen or so years in the legislature, now in the Senate, I know, Paul, um, you put in an awful lot of work doing what you do. And we thank you for being on the program, and we thank you for all you do. Thank you both. I appreciate it. We're going to take a break. We're going to be right back after these messages with Playbill with Jackie Walsh. Listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Northampton Mayor Gina Louise Shera is addressing the suspension of businessman Eric Schur's liquor license at Pearl Street Music Hall last month by the city's licensing commission. The most important thing, I think, from their perspective is that those licenses are being used, right? Like, we have limited licenses, which we've talked about, and we want to make sure that they're being used. Sure, appealed the decision to the state's Alcoholic Beverages Control Commission, and a final decision is still pending. Meanwhile, he has until June 1st to reopen the Iron Horse Music Hall and the Green Room before those venues lose their liquor licenses, too. A Greenfield man is facing multiple drug charges after being arrested, along with a New Jersey man yesterday. The men are charged with trafficking in cocaine and possession with the intent to distribute heroin and fentanyl. Police recovered approximately two kilos of suspected cocaine, 
520 bags of suspected heroin and fentanyl, and $40,000. Nearly 45 years after a woman was found shot to death on a logging road in Western Mass, she has been identified through advanced genetic testing. Investigators said 28-year-old Patricia Ann Tucker was found buried under leaves off a road in Granby on November 15, 1978. She had been shot in the head. For decades, the woman known as Granby Girl was buried in a local cemetery with a headstone marked unknown. The investigation led to finding her son, who was five years old when she disappeared. Partly sunny and breezy today. In fact, there could be a few wind gusts approaching 30 miles per hour middle of the day. A high of 32 to 36 this afternoon. Scattered clouds, breezy tonight. Overnight low of 20 to 26. Partly sunny and breezy again tomorrow. A high of 42 to 46. Low to mid 40s and dry on Thursday. 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Modest, very minimal increase in the police budget, largely uh, due to just regular contractual um, obligations. Holyoke is nothing like Northampton and Greenfield. The quality of life uh, issues or demographics, very, very different. So I can never compare our police departments. The challenges we have going on in our city are very, very different. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Sunday mornings on WHMP means polka, polka carousel. Every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, TZ brings his award-winning polka carousel to the airwaves of the valley, playing the polka classics and the latest polka hits. There are polka hits. Brought to you by Saluzniak Funeral Home, Northampton's funeral home for over 110 years and four generations of unparalleled, thoughtful memorial care. It's polka carousel every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, WHMP. Chess, advice, whiskey, and acapella. What's going on? A look around the valley with provisions. The Silver Chord Bowl, New England's longest-running collegiate acapella showcase, returns for its 39th year, Sunday, March 12th, at Northampton's Academy of Music. You play chess? Join the chess club at East Hampton's Williston Library Wednesdays at 4 p.m. All welcome. It's drop-in chess at Northampton's Forbes Library, all levels. Also Wednesdays from 1 to 3. The Academy Youth Productions presents Dear Edwina Jr., the adventures of a plucky young advice giver extraordinaire as she shares wisdom and song with the neighborhood kids march 9th and 10th at northampton's academy of music have a wee dram won't you it's an irish whiskey tasting friday march 17th four to seven at provisions in downtown northampton this is jim neal with what's going on a monthly look around at food and beverage arts and music and anything cool what's going on is presented by provisions wine beer cheese at the foot of crafts avenue in downtown northampton in the mill district in north amherst and now in the long meadow shops You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are talking theater. It is Playbill with Jackie Walsh. Hello, Jackie. Hey, Buzz. How's it going? It's going well. So what's happening in the Valley in terms of theater? Well, it's building up as we approach, you know, the summer season. We're starting to see some shows. So um, not that it's summer yet or even spring, but... Um, Glass Menagerie, which I just love that play by Tennessee Williams, that is at the Majestic Theater in West Springfield through April 2nd. We also have Into the Woods is coming soon to UMass um, April 28th through May 6th. There's a play reading series at Smith College, new play reading series. There's a play called This Is Not Real, 
by um, an MFA student. That's March 9th, which I think is Thursday at 7.30. It's free in Acting Studio One, and it explores how the mask you wear defines who you are. And I had to chuckle because at the end of the notice it said, masks are welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we have a couple more things. Jaduke Theater up in Turner's Falls is doing the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, which has been around for a while. I have yet to see it. Have you seen it, Buzz? I have never seen it. No, it's supposed to be good. So March 10th and 11th at 7 p.m., uh, March 12th at 2 p.m., Northampton High, I just wanted to include this, is doing Rock of the Ages, uh, March 16th through 19th, I've heard that title for years. I didn't really know what it was about, but it features music of the 80s, Journey, Sticks, REO Speedwagon, Poison, Twisted Sister, Pat Benatar, and White Snake. I somehow missed Poison and White Snake in the 80s, <laughs> but apparently they're, they're part of the whole thing. But also coming up is a play called Intimate Apparel. It's about a black seamstress in New York City in 1905, that's March 10th through 18th at the wonderful Hawks and Reed. They usually have a bar going, which is unusual in local plays. Um, and it's starring the wonderful Tammy Dare as Esther. And um, she is calling in. She's, she's on the line. Hey, Tammy. Hi, Jackie. How's it going? pretty good. How about you? <laughs> good. So the play is March 10th through 18th at Hawks and Reed. I did a play with Tammy there last spring, Elephant Man, and she's actually done at least one other show there since then. She's starting to do a lot of theater with Silverthorne. This is a Silverthorne show. So Intimate Apparel, tell us the um, what the story is. So Intimate Apparel is, like you said, about a black seamstress named Esther um, in the year 1905. So almost a little over 50 years, I want to say, after the Civil War. Um, and she's in New York, and she makes intimate apparel for the wealthy white women in the city and also the sex workers in the city. And she ends up getting this letter from this man in Panama and falls in love with this man. And this this play is about her falling in love with this guy mm -hmm. and building this fantasy for herself. Um, mm -hmm. But also navigating, like, as a black woman in Manhattan in 1905, right. um, her own status as a black woman. Right. And uh, we also now have Jasmine Brooks, the director online. Hi, Jasmine. Hi. How's it going? Very good. Thank you for joining us. Um so tell us a bit about Esther and also what it was like in 1905 to live in New York City as an African-American. Yeah, um, Esther is such a special character, I think, to all of us. Um, as Tammy was saying, her character is a seamstress who is sewing this intimate apparel for all these different clients. She goes to a fabric store and has like this great friendship with this Romanian um, Jewish man who sells all these beautiful fabrics. She lives in the rooming house um, with Mrs. Dixon. So she has, she's connected with all these different characters and the way that she is um, 
able to kind of establish community with everybody, the way that she's able to show her love for everyone um, is really just a, such an important message of um, just the importance of friendship and love and connection. And I think that's what you really see from Esther and how she really is seeking after that, seeking after love and community. Um, and she's someone who I just, I admire so much. I think she's a very resilient person as well. Um, and you'll all get to see that in Tammy's wonderful performance. <laughs> right. I mean, your description of Esther, I know Tammy a little bit. It, it describes uh, Tammy. She's just really embracing of other people and caring. Um, and also what you said about uh, being a seamstress, living in a rooming house, um, I, I read a little bit about the Trinity uh, shirtwaist fire where, you know, it was a place where women made shirts and um, it, it, it sounds like her life was very much like their lives, living in a room in house and working, working, working. Um, so is she a real person, Jasmine? Was she a real person? Yeah, so there's a great, there's a great um, article in the Los Angeles Times that Lynn Nottage, our playwright, wrote um, and how this character is loosely based off her great-grandmother. So Lynn Nottage found this photograph as she was kind of packing up her family's home, you know, they were selling the home, and she found this photograph of her great-grandmother and her great-grandfather. And um, her great-grandmother actually immigrated from Barbados, whereas Esther um, comes up from North Carolina. Um, so it, it's really loosely based off her family and kind of giving them life and, and breathing life into this photograph, which I think is such a beautiful um, idea and concept. So loosely based off of Lenage's family. Right. Um, Tammy, did you have to learn to sew to do this role? <laughs> I guess we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you already knew. <laughs> Um, so I just have to add, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say that there is a beautiful sewing machine and yeah, it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> uh -huh. Nice. 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 But if I, if I could go back to Tammy for a minute, is there anything in your life and your real life experiences that informs playing Esther? I think, I think generally growing up as um, a young black woman in America helped me really relate to Esther. Um, and I think there were a lot of things where today I believe I wouldn't even know how to handle how she wouldn't handle a lot of these like little microaggressions and things that people have said to her as she's doing these things for them. And she, because of the time and also because I just, think so highly of Esther like she just bites her tongue and like continues and where I'm just like man I would never have taken that <laughs> like um but I I believe that um Esther and I are similar in uh the ways that you know growing up as a black woman in America like that all trickles down like generation through generation those experiences right 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 um so I wanted to ask about the set. I, I do want to talk more about um, inclusion theater generally, but maybe after the break, which is coming in about two minutes. Um, but tell me, Jasmine, about the set. So this takes place in 1905, New York City. I'm a huge fan of New York City. So how do you make 
uh, the play uh, say, yes, this is New York City? Um, we really leaned into kind of the different spaces of all the characters that Esther interacts with, which mm -hmm. has been really fun. Um, so we have, have like the fabric store that's like draped with all of this fabric for Mr. Marks. Um, we have like an older piano. Um, so we have like kind of different um, set pieces that kind of like allude to all the different spaces that the characters occupy. Mm -hmm. Because I think what Lenage does such a great job of, of, yes, this is so steeped in 1905, like the history is there and the costumes and in the text, but it's also about these lives and how even though it's 1905, it still really resonates today and, and the themes of the story. So we really want to highlight kind of the inner lives of all the characters. Um, but we have some fun little touches, I think, allude to the fabric being a big part of this world, um, the photograph that I was speaking about earlier. So you'll all have to come and see. <laughs> this is Dan. I have a question for you. Um, tell me why 1905? Jasmine. Why 1905? Yeah, what's what's the the significance of the year? Is there a significance behind that year? Um, I think because it's about since it's loosely based off her family. Um, I th I think she was thinking about that like that was a, a a specific time that her family was in New York, and also with doing a lot of research on this play, like in the early like 1900s, like. That was when, like, so many people, thousands of people were coming through Ellis Island. Like, we're starting to see the great migration from the South. So it really is a time where New York is becoming very concentrated. And this play, except for one character, is made up of all New York transplants. So I think there's something interesting there about kind of this first wave and rush to New York um, that is really interesting to explore. Nice. So this is Playbill, and Jackie Walsh's guests are Jasmine Brooks and Tammy Dare, and they're talking about what really sounds like a wonderful and important play. We'll be right back. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster. Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2. Only on WHMP. Brought to you by Greenfield Savings Bank with offices all throughout Hampshire and Franklin counties. Greenfieldsavings.com. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster. WHMP. It was one of those big historic houses in Conway, built in the 1800s, a real beauty, though a bit of a challenge to insure. Steve bought it for about 700000 The insurance company figured the replacement cost to be about $5 million, a bit of a gap there. But there's a specialty insurance company we work with from time to time at Whalen Insurance, and soon enough, we were able to get the house insured. When a home buyer has a tough situation with insurance, like Steve did with the house in Conway, their real estate lawyer usually sends them to us, Whalen Insurance. We'd like to insure your house, too, even if it isn't as challenging. We'll get you every discount available, and more importantly, if you ever need help or have a claim, you won't be calling a 1-800 number 
and entering your policy on the dial pad because at Whalen Insurance, we answer the phone. Whalen Insurance, local people, local service, local insurance. In partnership with Mafre Insurance. Call for a quote, 586-1000. If only there were an indoor, climate-controlled farmer's market every day of the year. Oh, but there is. At State Street Fruit Store, Deli Wines and Spirits, farmers are bringing in their best from the field, orchards, and greenhouses every day. The best of the crop from wherever the crop is best, starting with fiddleheads and asparagus, all the way through berry season, corn, and into the root veggies, and hothouse stuff to get you through a New England winter. Plus, you can grab a bottle of burgundy or bourbon. And since it's open every day of the year, it's like a farmer's market every day of the year. But no rain, no snow, no heat wave, and they open at 6.30 a.m. every day of the year. Those are farmer's hours. Since the market is inside the building, there's plenty of room to park in the lot. State Street Fruit Store Deli Wines and Spirits on the corner of State and Center in downtown Northampton. It's like an indoor farmer's market every day of the year. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday, Hanger Pub and Grill? Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full value gift certificates and you save 30%. Famous for their amazing wings and beer, the Hanger Pub and Grill has multiple locations throughout Western Mass. The Hanger Wings paired with an Amherst Brewing beer is perfect before a game. After work, lunch. Check them out. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we're back. It is Play Bill with Jackie Walsh. It is uh, uh, Women's History Month, and it sounds like the play that you're talking about has a whole lot to do with women's history in this country. Yes, it does. And I would love to hear how people get tickets. Jasmine Brooks, the director, can you let us know how people can find a place to get tickets? Yeah, definitely. So head to Silverthorne's website. Um, I think it's silverthorntheater.com. And there should be a page for intimate apparel. It will bring you to an Eventbrite. And please come, bring a friend, bring two. Um, we'll hope to see you there. Great. And it's March 10th through 18th. Uh, evening shows are at 7.30. Matinees are at 3. Um, I want to ask Tammy. So you were talking about Esther, the main character, who's a seamstress in 1905 New York City, um, that her she experiences microaggressions, and you as a black woman in America have, have certainly experienced that. Can you, I mean, I don't want you to give that much away about the play, but can you give us an example or two of what she goes through and then maybe talk about your own experience? Well, um, in the play, she has one of her clients, Mrs. Van Buren, um, is this white woman who lives on Fifth Avenue. Mm-hmm. And um, she kind of treats her like this little plaything. Without without giving too much away, Miss, Miss Van Buren kind of treats Esther like this plaything. And Esther always has to, like, just kind of take it mm-hmm. and do her job and do what she's there, what she's being paid to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, I've just, as someone who's like not only grown up in America, but like I've I've grown, grown up like mostly within the Catholic school system, so a lot of times there's just a lot of comments about 
my hair or the way like my own body was developing because it was developing differently and like um these just offhanded things and also not being able to show my own um culture that much at school since I am a child of immigrants and um being called names for like things that were in my culture so um I think I could really take a lot of that and all of that frustration I felt but also the knowing that like sometimes you can't say anything sometimes you just have to walk away and sometimes you just have to laugh right right well I appreciate anything that addresses micro aggressions because I feel like most people in this country most white people know about the sort of broad sweep, you know, civil rights issues and not getting jobs, not getting housing, but we don't talk a lot about the day-to-day little stabs, you know, and I think anything that addresses that is is great. Um, I have a question for you, Jasmine Brooks, the director. How do you feel theater's doing as far as inclusion um, goes in the year 2023, and has it changed for you personally? Yeah, I think, you know, theater is definitely headed in the right direction. Um, I feel like we're starting to see, you know, it really used to feel like the shows that centered black characters happened in Black History Month or the shows that like centered whatever culture was in focus in a month. But now it feels like plays that have black leads or or any lead of a a marginalized identity that we can see that work throughout the season and knowing that we are people who we are black every day we are like whatever marginalized identity every day and feeling embraced all the time rather than just like a specific month of the year feels really important um i've definitely seen a lot of teams behind the scenes that are getting more diverse um, with different backgrounds. So I think there's definitely um, a push towards looking at not only the plays that we produce, but like who's working on the plays, who's getting cast in them, who's, you know, working, like designing them, all that stuff. So I, I definitely see that there is a shift. I mean, I we always can keep going. There's always work to be done. Um, but it's definitely going in the right direction. Right. I think, too, that blind casting has been a good thing. And, um, you know, I don't know how how prominent it is, but, uh, you know, to be able to cast people in roles that typically weren't, you know, a black actor or an Asian actor. I know that Willie Loman, um, Death of a Salesman on Broadway right now, I think it's an all-black cast. So I love seeing that because it's always struck me as unfair that, as a African-American actor that there's so few roles, you know, if you're only going to cast African-American actors in roles that were written to be African-American, it's very limiting. So I think it's only fair that people are able to get other roles. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Yeah. So I, I, may I just ahead. follow up on sure. that? And in both you, Jasmine Brooks and you, Tammy Deer, are we seeing as many people of color getting jobs as artistic directors and directors generally as we are seeing people getting acting jobs? Jasmine. Yeah, I think, you know, behind the scenes is a bit slower than like in front. Um, but I'm definitely seeing like a lot of my peers who are people of color, um, who are LGBTQIA, like I definitely see that they are getting more work than they had before. 
And it's never been like a lack of talent or anything like that. It's, it's always been kind of who gets what opportunity. Um, and I, I definitely have seen the shift and I hope to see more. I hope to see more artistic directors and directors and, and even stage crew that, you know, represents the society that we live in. <laughs> mm-hmm. And how about you, Tammy? What's your experience in that regard? Um, well, I haven't been too into the professional theater world, but I have been seeing a lot of, um, it's, it's a lot more refreshing, actually, to see a lot more of, like, my black peers getting creative jobs and also, like, jobs on stage. And just being around, like, more people like me, I guess, is a little, like, the, the tension is way lower. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I I feel a little bit more relaxed because I'm like okay there's other people like me doing this stuff too so I'm not I'm not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I have two more questions. Um, one is I'm curious about the intimate apparel itself. That's the name of the play we're talking about, which will be at Hawks and Reed um, March 10th through 18th. Um, so intimate apparel in 1905. What does that look like, Tammy? Well, <laughs> um, it it looks like n- definitely not what we what the 21st century is seeing as underwear per se. Um, to give an example, I wear under my costume. I have like a slip dress. I have a petticoat, and then I have a corset on top of that, and then the rest of my clothes go on. So it's definitely a little process, and I. I doubt people were getting dressed by themselves because I definitely am not. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's, that's what I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what intimate apparel looks like. (laughs) So Tammy, I'm so curious about you in theater. You're young, you're very young and you're getting these great roles. So you, so just remind us what the roles you've had in the last couple of years have been. Um, well, just this fall, I I did another show with Silverthorne, The Taming. Um, That's right, The and, Taming. And okay, and actually, I yeah. just realized we've <laughs> run out of time. But uh, you you were great in The Taming, so thank you so much for joining us. Right, Tammy but one Dark. more time, we go to the Silverthorne Theater website, and there you can see that it is it, the show opens this Friday, right? Yep. Yep. And you can we hope get to see to, you there. Uh, <laughs> I hope to be there. It sounds really like a wonderful thing. I want to thank everybody for sharing uh, your part of your day with us here on Talk to Talk, and we'll be back with you tomorrow. Have a great day. Tom Hartman here. Be sure to join me noon to three Eastern time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman program. Occupying the media three hours a day, five days a week for We the People. On 101.5.
1240. Join me noon to 3 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman Program. WHMP. Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station. It's 11 o'clock.